Grab a Bible this morning and open right to the middle and find Psalm 78. Psalm 78. This month will be our last month in the book of Psalms. We're going to do Psalms all the way up through the end of October. Then we're going to do a couple of different things after that. But we've got one more month of the book of Psalms. And this morning our passage is Psalm 78. A few things you need to know before we jump in. Psalm 78 was written by a guy named Asaph. And you may remember the name Asaph. We talked about him a few weeks back when we looked at Psalm 73. Uh, This guy was a Levite. He was from the tribe of Levi. He led worship. And he taught during the reign of King David. So he lived the same time King David did. You can look up the verses that talk about those aspects of his life. He's remembered as a man of faith and obedience. That's a pretty good legacy to leave behind, right? When you're gone and your family's around and one generation passes and another passes and they look back and they talk about you. They talked about Asaph and they said that was a man who had great faith and that was a man who obeyed the Lord. So that was his legacy. He wrote many psalms, and he was a key leader in Israel. One of my favorite passages that describes Asaph and gives you a glimpse at his life is Nehemiah 1246. It's written many, many, many years after Asaph lived. And as Nehemiah writes this book, he writes in Nehemiah 1246, basically, you remember back in the days of David and Asaph, and we think about David as being a really big deal. Everybody remembers King David, but in Nehemiah's mind, Asaph was right there with him as a key leader in Israel. So he was a really big deal as far as spiritual leadership in the nation of Israel. Here's the the closest thing I would come to a big idea of Psalm 78. Asaph wrote Psalm 78 to explain the necessity of passing on the faith to the next generation. He wrote many psalms, several psalms. You can look those up. I've listed them for you on on that front page of notes. But this one in particular, he wrote it to explain to us in poetic form the absolute necessity upon us to pass on our faith to the next generation. There is no plan B. There is no special angel that's going to come down and teach your kids or your grandkids the gospel. It's our responsibility to pass it down to our children and our grandchildren and the next generations. And Asaph is writing Psalm 78 to illustrate for us, to describe for us how absolutely critical that is. And so we're going to read it. It's a long psalm. I'm just warning you up front. You're going to have to really use your brain. Your attention span, if it's anything like mine, it's not as long as Psalm 78. But we're going to read the whole thing. And you're going to have to stick with it. And there's some interesting stuff in here, but don't quit. We're going to read the whole thing. And uh, this will be the longest section from the book of Psalms that we read in this series. So we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go all the way to verse 72. Here we go. A maskil of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, 
so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. In the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zon, he divided the sea and let them pass through it. He made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him. Rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart, demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can He also give bread or provide meat for His people? Therefore, the Lord, when the Lord heard, He was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob, and his anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above, and he opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat, and he gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings, and they ate and were well filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high, God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity, and he did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his, marvelous, and his marvels in the fields of Zon. He turned the rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail and their flocks to the thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger, and he did not spare them from death, but he gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down, the, he struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in, in safety so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. 
He drove out nations before them. He appointed them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies. They turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind. And he delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword, invented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men and their young women had no marriage song. Their priest fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine. And he put his adversaries to rout, and he put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and he took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, as we think about this psalm that Asaph wrote thousands of years ago, help us to see the truth contained in it. Help us to understand the story behind it. Father, help us to see how it applies to our life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. It's a long psalm, and it's too long to go line by line, word by word. So we're going to look at the three main sections in Psalm 78 and talk about the main point of each section. So here's the first section and the first main point. Passing on our faith to the next generation involves teaching the truth to our children. I know that sounds obvious, but it didn't always happen in Israel, and it doesn't always happen today. If you want to pass your faith on to the next generation, you must be involved in teaching the truth to our children. I love Psalm 78. It's one of my favorite psalms in the whole book of Psalms. Verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 are really some of my favorite verses. And they speak to the responsibility of parents to their children, the responsibility of grandparents to their grandchildren, of Sunday school teachers to the people in their class, of every one of you in this room who claims to love Jesus to the generation coming behind you. No one is exempt from the idea contained in 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Here's a couple of things you need to see from this section. We teach truth to the next generation so that they might know God. Listen, we don't want them to just know about God. We want them to know God. And there's a difference. You can drag a kid to church. You can pawn off your responsibility on a Sunday school teacher. You can send them to VBS and do all these things. And your kid can learn about God. But we teach, every one of us embraces this responsibility to teach the next generation because we don't want them to just know about him. We want them to actually know him. Look at verse 4. It's an interesting verse. 
He says, we will not hide them from the children, from their children. We'll tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord in his might and the wonders that he has done. If I took a poll this morning, okay, took a poll among those of you left in the room, and I asked you this question. I said, hey, you guys remember the kids that were sitting up on this front row just a minute ago, little preschool kids, and they come in and they sing with us, and then before the sermon they go down, they have a little Bible study down there, and they have a snack and all that stuff. I said, okay, these kids, they're going down the hall. And I took a poll, and the poll was this. How many of you think it's a good idea to send Miss Terry down to the other end of the building and hide all the Bibles? Like, put them in the back of the cabinet, keep them tucked away, all the Bible stories, all the Bible puzzles, all the sheets. Let's, let's, like, let's make it like a game of hide and seek. Let's not just give it to the kids. Let's make them look for it and find it. Let's go down there and hide. None of you would raise your hand, Right? If Jamie stood up here and said, look, I'm with the Gideons, and this is what we do. We buy Bibles. We take them around the world, and uh, we would like you to give so that we can take some of those Bibles around the world. And he said, let me tell you a story. We went to Kenya. We took 150,000 Bibles to Kenya. You know what we did with them? We hid them in a bush. We, just, we took them over there, went out in the middle of nowhere, and just left them. You say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would you do that? No one would do that. It's so silly. But Psalm 78 is saying this. Listen, if you're not embracing your responsibility to teach the next generation the truth about God, you might as well be hiding Bibles in Kenya or you might as well be hiding Bibles in our nursery. You say, well, I would never do that. Hide a Bible from a child. No one would do that. If you don't embrace your God-given responsibility to teach the generation coming behind you, whether you have kids or not, grandkids or not, somebody's coming behind you in this church. And if you don't embrace your job, your role, your responsibility to contribute to that some way, somehow, you might as well be hiding it from them. That's what Asaph says in Psalm 78. He also says we teach the truth for the sake of the unborn. Not just those who are here but those who aren't even here yet. Verse 6 is an amazing verse, and it goes with 5 and 7. He says, God established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel. He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they, who's the they? that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. Look at this chain that we just read. you got several generations here. starts off with, he's talking about our fathers. This is not the prayer you pray in some churches, but he's talking about our fathers. God gave this law to our fathers. And then after that, he says, they're supposed to pass it down to their children. The fathers are supposed to give it to their children. And the next thing he says, they're going to give it to the next generation, the children who are yet unborn. And then that's not even the end of it. It goes beyond that, and he says, those guys are supposed to give it to their children. At least four generations here. And Asaph's not saying it's only a four-generational thing. He's just saying, when you teach, when you pass on this truth to the next generation, this is important. You're not just trying to pass down facts to the next generation, but you're trying to teach them in such a way that when you're gone and someone else is here, they can turn around and teach it to somebody else. That's your job. That's our job as a church family. You understand the weight of that? 
We have the task of looking at the next generation in this church and saying, someday, all of us are going to be gone. And you're going to be the one sitting in here. And it's going to be your job to teach this same truth to the next generation, to the kids we haven't even dreamed up yet. If they're going to be able to do that, that means today you and I have an obligation to teach them and to do it in such a way that when we're gone, they can turn around and pass this truth on to the next generation. One more idea here on teaching the truth. We teach the truth to restrain rebellion in the next generation. I know this is preposterous, but again, if I took a poll and I said, how many of you would love for your grandkids to grow up and to hate Jesus? How many of you would love for your your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids someday to grow up and to not care a thing about church? They're going to be CEOs, only come on Christmas and Easter only. How many of you want that for your family and future generations? You say, I don't want that. I want my grandkids and my great-grandkids, and I want them to love Jesus more than anything else. That's what I want for them. Well, nobody wants this rebellion, but Asaph warns us in verse 8, We teach all of these things, verse 8, that they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. It's our responsibility. It's your responsibility to take the truth and to teach it to the next generation in such a way That when we're gone, they can turn around and teach it to the kids we haven't even dreamed up yet. Some of you are out there thinking, look, this sounds great. This is all fine. I'm sure Asaph was a nice guy. Of course, I don't want to hide Bibles. But you're thinking, the wheels are turning, and the wheels are saying in your brain, look, we can teach all we want, but the next generation has the responsibility or the obligation to accept what we're teaching. It's not like this is just magic and you're thinking about kids in your family, grandkids in your family, people that you know coming behind you who haven't accepted what you've tried to taught. And all I can say is you're right. There is an obligation for the next generation to accept the truth. That's just not the emphasis in Psalm 78. The emphasis in Psalm 78 is on you and me and our obligation to teach regardless of whether or not it's going to be accepted or not. Some of you, the wheels are turning, and you're saying, no one ever did this to me. I mean, I I went to church, I'm here at church, I go to church, but no one ever just sat me down and over time taught me these things. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to sit down with the next generation and do it. And I understand that that's a reality for some of you. But Psalm 78 doesn't give you a loophole. Psalm 78 doesn't say, look, for those of you who received the truth and you're taught the truth, you're the ones that need to turn around and pass it on. It just says, if you love Jesus, if you're part of his church, if you're in with the one true God, then it's your job to take this truth and pass it on to the next generation. And you're going to be held responsible for that. You're not going to get to stand before the Lord one day and say, well, you know, I didn't really know how to do it, so I thought that didn't apply to me. It applies to you. Some of you are thinking, the wheels are turning, and you're saying, This is why at Emmanuel we have hired the greatest church staff of all time. We pay you guys to do it. And I agree, you've hired the greatest church staff of all time. I'm just telling you that our impact with your kids and your grandkids is very small. It's very small. And the time that you spend with them all during the week 
is far greater than the one hour we get on Sunday mornings or the two hours on Sunday mornings and an hour on Wednesday night. It's not even close. So we're going to teach. We're going to do our best. We're going to try to maximize those hours on Sunday morning and Wednesday night in youth camps and other... We're going to do our best. I'm just telling you, the impact we have pales in comparison to the impact that you have with the next generation coming behind you. So we teach to pass on our faith to the next generation. Two more sections and two more big ideas. You ready? Religious rituals and spiritual experiences are no substitute for knowing God's word. No substitute. This is verse 9 all the way to 55, and we're not going to reread it. But in this long section from Psalm 78, 9 to 55, Asaph is telling one story, and it's like he's just got it on repeat, right? I mean, it's just the same thing over and over. And the story basically goes like this. There was a people that God took the initiative to save. He appeared to a guy named Abraham and made some promises to him, and then he gave it to his son Isaac and to Jacob and to his 12 sons, and he made all these promises to save them. And God did amazing things to save these people. The miracles that they witnessed in Egypt, you can't even imagine. You can't imagine seeing the frogs and the flies, and the darkness, and the hail, and the death of the firstborn, and the Red Sea being parted right down the middle, and water coming out of a rock, and bread coming down from heaven, and quail coming in from the east. You can't imagine the things that they saw. But for all those great things that they saw, all those miracles, it didn't change their heart. They had spiritual experiences like you can't believe didn't change their heart. And they had religious ritual all day long. He gave them his law. He gave them his testimonies. He gave them his statutes. He said, this is how you offer sacrifices. This is what you do on this feast day. This is what you do on this celebration day. He gave them all these things to do, and the religious ritual was powerless to change their heart. Look what he says in Psalm 78. Look at verse 17. Yet they sinned still more against him. Verse 32. In spite of all this, they sinned. And despite his wonders, they did not believe. Verse 36. They flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Even when they professed faith, it was flattery. It wasn't genuine. Verse 56 says a similar thing. They tested and rebelled against the Most High God and they did not keep his testimonies. I've served at a church before where a lot of people had in their mind if they just sent their kids to the right church camp every year and they made sure that they didn't do drugs or run around with people who did, their kids were going to grow up and be fine. They really thought This one camp, we're going one week a year, and it's it's so great. It's the greatest camp ever. We're going to send them to this camp, and they're just, it's going to take care of it all. I'm raising my kids right by sending them. And there's people who really believe in their heart of hearts. They really think, well, I drug them to Sunday school. Well, I, I gave them this spiritual experience. I made sure they were in this building at this address every Sunday morning. Or I'm praying that they have some, you know, emotional, spiritual experience. And Asaph is saying, listen, listen. 
First things first, you've got to teach them the word. You've got to teach them the scriptures. If you don't know it, you better learn it quick. You better get after it. You've got to pass the truth on to the next generation. It's your responsibility. No spiritual experience can take the place of that. So many times you and I try to pawn our disobedience off on, well, you know, we haven't seen God do amazing miracles in a long time. And if I could have just been there when they came out of Egypt and if I could have just seen the ocean part or seen the death of the firstborn or seen any of those great signs and wonders, the water from the rock, it would have been so much easier to have faith in God if I could have just seen those things with my own two eyes. And Asaph says, are you kidding me? The people who saw it walked around in the desert and sinned against God and rebelled against God and stiffened their necks and hardened their hearts and it didn't change them one bit. And he's putting his finger on the problem and he's saying the problem is they didn't actually pass the truth on to the next generation. They relied on other things. Here's the last idea in Psalm 78, third section. God's plan of redemption will not be frustrated by the failures of sinful human beings. This last section starts in verse 56 and goes to the end. And just to summarize it, Asaph says, look, the people have been stubborn. They've been stubborn. And God's punished the people just like he promised he was going to punish them. He disciplined them. And then in verse 68 comes the word but. It's an important word. It's the turn in Psalm 78. But he chose the tribe of Judah. Despite all their rebellion and their foolishness and their hard hearts and their stiff neck, God had a plan. And he said, my plan's going to move through Judah, through this one particular tribe. He made that decision. And then in verse 70, it says, He chose David from the tribe of Judah. Not any of his older brothers, but he, t- he picked David, the youngest one, the smallest one, the least likely of all of them. He said, this is, this is where my plan's going to work through, through the tribe of Judah, through the line of David. And the psalm ends with this idea of David shepherding his people. You know that This guy lived with David, right? Asaph lived with David, and he knew David as a man after God's own heart. You also know if you've read the Old Testament that this man after God's own heart made some really foolish decisions in his life that brought destruction into his own life, into his family's life, and into the nation of Israel. And you know how this story ends, that David was not the one that God's people needed to shepherd them. And what Asaph is saying is, look, God has a plan He's not going to be frustrated by our failures. He's chose Judah. He's chose David. And he's going to send them a shepherd. And when you read the rest of the story in the New Testament, Jesus walks on the scene. It's not a coincidence that he walks among the Jews who have read this book for hundreds of years. And what does he say? I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one you've been waiting on. You know that it wasn't David who could shepherd you in faithfulness and righteousness. I'm the one that's here to be your shepherd. And Asaph is reminding us, look, despite all their hard-heartedness and stiff-necked, God's plan is not going to be frustrated by that. Maybe you've heard a pastor say, I think I actually said this Wednesday night at our Bible study, that the church is always one generation away from extinction. You heard somebody say that? Always one generation away from extinction. It's true, right? You don't pass the faith on to the next generation. Nobody's going to be there when you're gone. And I read something, an article just this week of a a pastor in the Church of England. 
And he just said this. He said, this is us right now. We're one generation away and we'll be gone. There's a remnant left and when they die, that's it. When you hear that, I want you to understand it's true. And it sort of resonates with Psalm 78, right? You've got to pass the faith on. You've got to pass the truth on and teach the truth to the next generation. But I never want you to hear that and be fearful. I never want you to hear that and be afraid. Because that's not how Psalm 78 ends, and that's not how the story ends. You remember what Jesus said to the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew? Look what he said. You're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to build a church. I'd love for you to be part of that, but if you're not, you're not interested, you're not going to do what I called you to do, I'm still going to build it. I'll just use other people. Listen to me. If this church decides that it's not a priority for us, not for the staff, not for the Sunday school teachers, if we decide it's not a priority for us to pass the faith on to the next generation, God will use a church down the road. He don't need us. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need our Awana program. He doesn't need our Bible study on Sunday morning. If we decide we're not interested in doing this as a church family, as individual families, fine. He'll use somebody else. You understand if believers in Odessa, Texas decide it's not a priority to teach the next generation the truth, Lord forbid he'll use the people in Midland. He doesn't need Odessa. Not for a second. This is really hard for me to say, but it's 100% true. If people in the state of Texas decide that this is not important for us to do, he'll use New Mexico. He can use New Mexico, crying out loud. Doesn't need the state of Texas. Listen to me. If Christians in the United States decide this is not a priority and it's not important, he'll use believers in China. Did you hear what Jamie said earlier? The Gideon team that went, they were from Germany. They were from China. They were from the United States. We see the same thing when we take mission trips. We see these groups of people, they're all wearing the same T-shirt, like we're all wearing the same T-shirt, and you say, oh, they're on a mission trip. We're not the only ones going on a mission trip. I thought God needed us. I thought Emmanuel was his last best hope. He doesn't need us. Here's the thing, though. Psalm 78 is pretty clear that my kids and your kids and the kids that sit on this front row every Sunday morning are in this deal for good or for bad. They're in it. The kids we care about, the kids that we haven't even dreamed up because they haven't been born yet, because their parents are still sitting on this front row right here, they're in on this deal. They're either going to be stubborn and rebellious and defy the one true God, even maybe as they pay lip service to Him, they flatter Him, or they're going to be the people, Psalm 78 verse 7 says, that set their hope on God. It's one of the two. And if those kids are in on it, and their kids are in on it, and the kids in this room are in on it, and the next generation coming behind us is in on it, I just assume that God uses us to teach the truth to the next generation. I just assume God raise up another generation of believers in this church behind us who set their hope in God. So to that end, let's pray together.
Father, impress on our hearts the gravity of what Asaph is, is saying to us, what you're saying to us. It's such a simple idea. It is so simple. And it is something that so many times we ignore, we forget, we pass off to somebody else. Father, help us to be Christians, help us to be families, help us to be a church that is serious about passing on the truth to the next generation, teaching the truth to the next generation. We want them to know you. We want them to set their hope in you, not on the things of this world. Father, give us wisdom. We don't know how to do this in every situation. Give us strength because it's a hard task. It's a slow task. Help us to endure in what you're calling us to. Father, we pray that you would use us to raise up another generation that would set their hope in you. That our kids and grandkids would turn around and they would pass the same old good news story about Jesus Christ to those who haven't yet been born. Father, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your spirit. We need the power of your word. We need you. And so we come to you as needy people asking for your help and the thing that you've called us to. And we ask for it all through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.